0: Uh, well, here we are, as Jenna said, we are in a, a, a series entitled Position, and as you, most of you guys know who are here at the kickoff of that, I was really casting a vision of uh, not what we're going to do, that will come, but casting a vision of the kind of people God is calling us to be. I'm really talking about what we believe God is doing in this season, that God is, is about to pour out his spirit and increase measure, if you like, a tsunami wave of his spirit, And just like the surfer needs to position himself to catch that wave, so God is saying to each one of us, you need to position yourselves to receive of me. Because we can miss it. We can miss it. And so we we looked at those different positions of heart. We looked at humility. We unpacked that over two weeks. Then we looked at the position of um, hungering after God, which we looked at Psalm 23 and how as, as a great shepherd as his sheep, he leads us grazes us on his truth and leads us besides waters and directs us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then last week we looked at the kind of vision we need to walk in those paths, vision of faith, that uh, we walk by faith, not by sight. We looked at 2 Corinthians 5, 7. And so that brings us nicely to this week and uh, this position of the week. And the question is, what happens when you get to that place where you're ready to walk in it? What happens? Well, oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when God reveals a promise or a direction, there is a season of waiting before it is fulfilled. It's like God says, and this is what I'm going to do, and then you're like, "Uh, it's all gone quiet. (laughs) What's happening? What's happening, Lord? And so the question is, how do we respond in these times of waiting? We respond with a position of prayerful expectancy. Prayerful expectancy. And this is the position we're going to look at This week. You see, what do we do when we wait for revival? When God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, we pray with expectation that it will come to pass. What do we do when God gives you a specific promise about what He's going to do in your life? Well, you you look in the scriptures and see a particular promise that should apply to you and it doesn't. What do you do in that time of waiting? You position yourself with prayer and expectation. And so we're going to unpack what that looks like for us as a body of believers and us individually as well. You know, I was uh, putting this uh, talk together and I was reminded of that book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. Some of you are laughing, you know that book is. You know, it's uh, Steph, when we first uh, got pregnant many years ago, Lucy, our eldest, is nine now. And uh, you know, you're in that period of waiting for nine months, aren't you? And this book, What to Expect When You're Expecting, is very helpful. But of course, that time of waiting was marked with lots of preparation. I remember Steph and I, you know, a long list of all the things we need to get, a cot, a pram, a this, or that. And how on earth are we going to be parents and reading every single book on the subject? Um, and so it was marked, not with us just sitting back and saying, oh, it may happened, it happen, it'll be fine. No, there is a sense that in the waiting you prepare, and that is no different to the promises of God. You see, in some ways, with the promises of God, we feel that it's about to happen. We, we see evidence of it. Things are moving around. You start having conversations with people that you find interesting. You know, you see doors starting to open, but you're not there yet. And the danger is we can kind of fall into despondency in those seasons, can't we? Well, it was going to happen, but, you know, nine months is a long time, and it probably, you know, et cetera, etc. cetera, et cetera. You see, here's the thing, you see. Expectancy is active. It's not passive, Expectancy is active, it's not passive. And so we need to position ourselves to prepare for the fulfillment of its promises. And there's many things we can do to prepare, but one of them, as I said, we're going to look at this morning, is how we prepare with an expectation that he's going to move through prayer. And let me just backtrack to last week, just to want to touch on faith You know, we looked at Hebrews 11, didn't we? That most famous of verses about what faith is. And it says, faith is the assurance that God's promise will happen. And I think, you know, the Amplified unpacked that assurance as a title deed. You know, I have a title deed to my house. It's that level of assurance. So faith is the title deed that God's promises will come to pass. But here it is. Expectancy is the desire for his promises to be fulfilled. You see, where faith is the assurance that it will come to pass, expectancy is an outworking of that desire in us to see it fulfilled. You know, a lady called O.J. Fraser, Mrs. O.J. Fraser, wrote this book on prayer. It's a very old book. And there's a great quote in it, and it says this, An earnest desire in spiritual things is a bell ringing for prayer. An earnest desire in spiritual things... There's a bell ringing for prayer. You see, desire should birth prayer in us. It is like the kindling of prayer, desire. And we have a choice what to do with desire. We can either let it internalize and lead us to despondency, or we can direct it in prayer. And we're going to look at a most amazing story in the Old Testament of a woman of faith called Hannah. Some of you may know the story of Hannah. She had a desire to have a baby. And we learn here how she directed that desire in prayer. And what we can learn, we can learn four amazing things from this story about what prayerful expectancy looks like in our lives. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. I'd like you to turn with me then to 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 1, and then we're going to look at verses 1 to 20. That's 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. It'll be on the screen as well, of course, you might have it on your smartphone device. And I think actually I might just jump to verse 2 here. He, being Hannah's husband, called Elkanah, had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Penina, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel saying, because I asked the Lord for him. What a great story, hey? A woman of faith and how she turned that desire into prayer. And so, what four things can we look at this morning? Four things that we can learn from this story and how we position ourselves in prayerful expectancy. Okay, here's the is the first one, albeit obvious, and for that I apologize, but it is this prayerful expectancy is our right response to his promises. And I looked at that at the start, didn't I? You see, what we read in this story is that Hannah had been crying for years. She wanted a baby. It was as if she was reminded of the Lord's promise that we would go and multiply the earth by her rival provoking her and irritating her. And it fueled that desire, Lord, look at me. And it was, a, it was left as a burden, this desire, and no outlet. And we read in verse seven that this went on year after year, year after year, year after year. But what we read in this story is that there came a moment where she decided to respond to this desire in an altogether different way. What do we read in this story? It says, Hannah stood up. She changed her posture. She did something different. Hannah stood up. Verse 9, Hannah stood up. As if almost for the first time, she decided to do something different. Year after year, she would come with her husband and her rival. And year after year, she would go back in tears, but not today. She decided to stand up. And I think for many of you this morning, God is saying to you, stand up. I know it's hard. I'm not saying you haven't stood up before, but I want you this morning to stand up. Stand up out of the mess. Stand up out of the pain. Stand up out of the tears, because I am here and what happened when she stood up? It said she prayed. You see, her desire was no longer internalized, no longer left to go around and around, but she directed it in prayer as she stood up. You know, you might have for thus, thus far wished for something. You may have moaned about it, complained about it, even told other people, but God is saying afresh this morning, stand up and pray. Stand up and pray. And we saw this story of praying play out in 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 Jesus and the disciples, didn't we? Because in Acts 1, 4, before Jesus is ascended, he says to the disciples, listen, I'm about to go up, but don't leave Jerusalem until I send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then in in Acts 2, what do we read? The disciples, how did they respond to this promise? Because there was obviously a delay for the fulfillment of this promise. What did they do? They got together in unity and prayed in expectation. They didn't go off and think, well, we'll leave it to God. He was sovereign. He'll do it when he wants. They didn't go off on holiday thinking they had time on their hands. (laughs) They got into the upper room and in unity they said, come, Lord Jesus. Your words, you said, Lord, that you'll send your Holy Spirit. Would your Holy Spirit come? And what happened? Rushing winds swept through that place and tongues of fire descended And the promise of Jesus was fulfilled. It is a completely sovereign act. And yet, they could have missed it. They positioned themselves to receive, didn't they? And in this season, God is saying, I am doing something new amongst you. I'm about to pour out my spirit in abundant measure. But let me tell you what you do with that promise. You get in unity and you get together and you pray in expectation. Let us not just sit back and think, well, he'll do it when he wants Of course he is sovereign, but he requires us to seek him. And that's what we say here with Hannah. She stood up and she started praying. And so we move on then. That's number one. Number two, what else can we learn? And I think this is going to really unlock prayer for so many of you. And for some of you, I think it's going to be a reminder because this is how you used to pray. It is this. Prayerful expectancy is confident and specific. Prayerful expectancy is confident and specific. You see, I find it very interesting in this story that she desired for a child, and yet when she starts praying, verse 11, she prays not just for a child, but for a son. That's specific. Wow, how audacious is she? She should just say, well, Lord, whatever you've got for me, that'll be fine. But no, she had the boldness and the confidence and the courage to say, Lord, grant me a son, and it's worth reminding ourselves, guys, of this most glorious truth. We have access to the very throne room of God. Not only do we have access, but he has invited us to his presence. We read that in Hebrews four sixteen. It says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us approach with confidence. And that is what Hannah has done. And for so many of us, we approach God with a timidity and a, I hope you don't mind, Lord, but I've got something to ask you. And it's a bit of a general thing, but it's up to you how you answer it. There are other are the times where we don't know how to be specific and that's fine. We just go, Bleh. and God is gracious, but there are times when we have it in our heart. And yet what holds us back is that we're just not bold enough because the enemy has robbed us and lied that we cannot go into the throne of grace in boldness. Let me tell you, yes, we can. Not only can we, but he's saying right now, you need to. And you see, we've got to be aware of how the enemy operates in this because of that famous phrase, sometimes our thoughts are not our thoughts. (laughs) The battlefield is in the mind. So here's two things to be aware of how the enemy will lie. Number one, he'll say this, you are too bad and unimportant to go to God. What kind of week have you had? It's been shocking. I mean, that sin, you've sinned way too many times. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have a good week first, and then maybe God will listen to you. That's a lie. Or those people over there, they're way more holy than me. He'll listen to them, but he won't listen to little on me. I mean, do you know the mess I live in? Let me tell you guys, don't listen to that. That's the lie of the enemy. His word says that we should go in confidence to the throne of grace. Let's not miss out on answered prayers because we've allowed the enemy to stop us in our tracks. And take a posture of passivity. Is that a word? Being passive and sitting down. Well, here's the other lie. This is how it works. You are too good and important to go to him. It happens. Oh, I've had such a good week. God knows what I need. He's going to sort it out. <laughs> it happens. Or, I'm so important and I've got this really done well. I probably don't need God, to be completely frank. I've had that in my life so many times. And God's like, okay, then off you go. And I do it and I made a mess. I'm like, oh, Lord, help me. It's obviously only me that does that. But the enemy wants to put us in a position where we're sitting down. No, he's saying stand up and go and run into the arms of God, into the throne of grace. And this is what Hannah did, didn't she? This is what Hannah did. She was bold and courageous. Why? Because she knew the love of the Father. See, when you know the love of the Father, that he is for you and not against you, you run into his presence. And so this morning, if there are things in your world that you need answers for, be specific and be bold. Don't let the enemy rob you of that. Number three, Ready? Prayerful expectancy is persistent. You know, I would say this is the biggest battle we've got as Christians. Because we do stand up and we do pray. And we are specific. And then what happens? We leave it. We think, well, I've prayed. God's heard me. It's up to him now. We don't read this with Hannah. I mean, I find this amazing. Hannah stood up. She prayed specifics in boldness. And then it says in verse 12... And she kept on praying. You know, she made this most amazing of supplications to the Lord and a vow. And she didn't go, I'm done. She kept on praying. You see, there is this sense sometimes that we need to keep going until we pray in our praying. You know, there is this sense sometimes that we start in a place. I do it. and recognize it. I, right, Lord, I'm going to pray now. And I'm gauging, and my, 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 uh, I'm there with the thinking in the head, and then I'm like, well, I've done it now. But there is the Holy Spirit just saying, keep pressing in, keep pressing in. And as we press in, it's like the Holy Spirit animates your prayers, and your heart is engaged in a way in which it was never before. You see, heaven is not looking for polite words. Heaven is not looking for well-constructed arguments. Heaven is looking for heart. You know, the old rabbis used to say that prayer is heart work. And Hannah here, it says in verse 15, poured out her soul. And I'm not saying that none of you have done this. Don't hear me right. There are seasons where we do do this. This is just a reminder for us in this season to get back to what you may have forgotten. And we've got to be persistent. We've got to be persistent. And so number one we learn is that persistent prayer is often marked with increased fervency. As we keep going It gets more and more fervent. Secondly, persistent prayer requires us to put other things aside and make time. I think this is the the most challenging aspect of being Christians in this day and age. I find it interesting that Hannah, what did she do? She stayed in the temple. I'm sure everyone else got up from the service and did their stuff. Had donuts and coffee. (laughs) Good though that is, and do enjoy them. But she had this in her heart, and she didn't want to be distracted. She was in the middle of seeking God. And I don't assume that the temple was a place of comfort. She made herself uncomfortable as she sought him. You know, Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Seek and you will find. What do we think seek means? I'll tell you what seek means. I've got to leave the house and I can't find my car keys. And I've got five minutes. Then you seek, right? I am not going to stop until I find my car keys. Because this car is not driving itself that's what seeking is. It's putting everything else aside and being persistent and seeking his face. It's not a quick prayer. It's not like a, a wish. It's a seeking. You know, um, share a personal story. Here I am as, as your senior pastor and what a privilege and honour it is, by the way. But of course, I didn't wake up being a senior pastor one day. I, didn't, I wasn't born a senior pastor as such. And the past 20 years, I have been in other spheres um, yes, serving in leadership capacities in churches and ministries, the Lord has been using that to prepare me. But equally, I've been part of the, the business world for the past 20 years, working for large corporates and starting businesses and selling businesses, etc. But God had always placed on my heart from an early age—maybe I was about 15—that I would be in full-time ministry. And it would be there in the background, but there came a point, I would say, probably nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, where I had left Yahoo, I was working through at the time, and founded a new company, and um, it was going great. We had just raised millions of dollars on a capital raising, and we were in the press, and it was amazing. And, you know, on the outside, everyone thought, well, look at the the success, Mark's got everything he was looking for, and we were hiring people and, and going, great. But God, in that moment, I tasted what I thought I may have wanted and it wasn't there. And God reminded me of that word, that promise. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, that desire is there. I don't want to be part of this. I want to be serving you in full-time way, Lord. And I remember our offices at the time were in Sydney in the CBD, the Central Business District. And up the road from our offices was this amazing Presbyterian church, the large one in Sydney. And their doors were open during the week. And this desire was so great, I had to direct it in prayer, but I didn't have enough time, so what I would do in my lunch times is sneak away and walk up to this church and get in those in that building and get in the pews and get on my knees, and I used to cry out to the Lord and pray. And I used to pray His promises. And Psalm 84, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of the wicked. Or a better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And I used to seek God in prayer and say, "Lord, you have placed this on my heart." This is what I need, Lord. This is what you want for me. And I prayed it, prayed it, prayed it, prayed it. Some things don't come overnight. Some things you have to seek God for. And as you do, as you're persistent, you'll find that there's a sense of fervency that grows in you. And so I want to encourage you guys that I know it's difficult. Our lives are busy. But sometimes we need to be intentional and deliberate on making time for him and seeking him. And, you know, if you look at church history and all the great men and women of the faith, you know the the thing that marks them all out is their prayer lives. There can be no power in the pulpit without power in prayer first. There can be no power in outside of our lives without power in the prayer closet first, to use that old-time phrase. And I think in this season, God is saying to each one of us, I want you to seek me in ways you've never done before. Take that desire and that promise and lock yourself in a room and seek my face and pray and pray. I invite the band up and I just touch on the last one. We've looked at prayerful expectancy is our right response. Number two, prayerful expectancy is confident and specific as we have boldness that we can approach the throne of grace. The three, prayerful expectancy is persistent that we need to seek him and push and number four, prayerful expectancy aligns our desires to his. You see, it's an amazing story, Hannah, because she started praying for seeking a child, but it was in the praying that it turned into, and Lord, I give you my son and I commit him to this, your service. You see, if it wasn't for that, Samuel, Saul would not have been crowned by Samuel, David would not have been anointed. But as Hannah prayed and as as she was persistent, she could have missed out on it, the Lord started working on our heart and her prayers were aligned with him. And I think for so many of us, we're going to miss out on something amazing if we don't persist in prayer because in so doing, God is going to align your heart's desires to his very desires and we're going to see great things. You see, it's through prayer that he enlarges our vision. It is through prayer that he refines our motives. You know, it's often been said that prayer doesn't just change things, it changes people. And that is the promise of us as a people as we commit to praying, is that he's going to change us as we do it. It's not just about the answers, they will come. It's about where he wants us to be positioned. I'd like you to stand as a band start playing.